If I tell you that I find wearing hijab liberating, that should be enough, right? I don't need you to tell me how I should feel because I'm choosing what I want to do with my body. And I think that there's beauty in having the freedom to choose whether or not you want to cover, just like there's beauty in having, you know, the right to choose whether or not you you may want to wear short sleeves or you may want to wear shorts. And why is it that we've become so accustomed in our society to trying to dictate what women should and should not wear? My name is Kelly Edwards, and this is Let's Go Together, a podcast from Travel and Leisure about the ways travel connects us and what happens when you don't let anything stop you from seeing the world. Throughout our season, one theme has come up over and over again. Travel lets us experience new cultures and explore new places. But for many of our guests, it's also a way for the world to see them, proving that adventure is for everyone no matter who you are or what you look like. My guest today is all about being visible and slicing through stereotypes with a sword in hand. Iftihaj Muhammad was the first U.S. Olympian to wear hijab while competing in the 2016 Games in Rio. She won a bronze medal in fencing as a part of the women's saber team. The first ever hijabi Barbie doll is made in her image. Iftihaj runs her own fashion line, Luella, and is the author of two books, a memoir called Proud, My Fight for an Unlikely American Dream, and a children's book called The Proudest Blue, about a girl's first day wearing hijab to school. Fencing has taken Iftihaj all over the world. We talked about her path to the Olympics, her pilgrimage to Mecca, being profiled at the airport, and where she wants to go next. So let's start at the very beginning of your story. Everyone has roots in something who makes them who they are today. You were raised in Maplewood, New Jersey, in a Muslim African-American family. Your parents converted to Islam before you were born. What was it like growing up in Maplewood? So we moved to Maplewood when I was super young and growing up as a kid who you know, observed hijab from the age of 12 and being one of the only Muslim families, I always felt like a sense of belonging in our town. Tell me more about that. Well, and my mom uh, wore hijab, you know, my whole life. And there was an understanding, at least amongst me and like my sisters, that eventually we would wear hijab. It was just like a part of, it's a part of our faith. And I feel like my parents did a pretty good job and helping us like make that transition into wearing hijab and being in the same school system definitely helps. I was, you know, from kindergarten through 12th grade, I was with the same group of kids who had seen, you know, my mom wear hijab. And so when it came that time for me to wear hijab full time, when I reached puberty, uh, it was like an easy transition. Iftihaj became an athlete at a young age, trying t-ball, track and tennis. My parents just saw the value in us, not just being active, but also both my parents worked. My parents needed us to have an after-school activity. So they knew where we were after school because we all participated in sports. How did you get into fencing? What was the training like and competing in a sport that is largely played by the white and wealthy? I, you know, I grew up with the same situation. I always had some sort of sports. I think I started playing in maybe third grade basketball. And as I got older, 
added track to that mix. But fencing is not something that immediately comes to mind as an activity that would be um, something that I would have access to. So how did how, how did that work out for you? Well, similar to you, I played a lot of different sports growing up, but I think this this very common thread for me as a kid and all these different sports that I would try, uh, my teammates would always wear shorts or tank tops. I didn't wear shorts. I didn't wear tanks. So there was, I think, a desire to find something where I would feel a bit more included, especially when it came to the uniform. And at 12 years old, my mom and I were uh, driving through our town and from the car we saw into the high school and there were you know there was a team practicing it was a columbia high school fencing team and at that moment i just remember my mom looking at me and saying you know i don't know what sport that is but when you get to high school i want you to try it out and she sure did the opportunity to kind of embark on this journey of of fencing i think really was rooted in the idea that it uniquely accommodated my religious beliefs. All of the athletes in the sport of fencing wear, you know, protective gear. We wear what we call knickers or like long pants. We wear long jackets. We even have, you know, protective gear over our face, which we call masks. It was the first time in my life I felt like I really fit in and just was a part of the team. And I could kind of abandon these labels that I feel like society places on us, whether that be as like girls or as African-Americans or, you know, even as Muslim, it was just me and existing in sport and it being about my ability and my desire to win and not about all these other labels. Wow. That's pretty powerful. It's a really unique situation. And fencing is super competitive. Right. What was that like transitioning from, you know, sports that you were really familiar with to like this new world? I would say it's so layered. There's a lot of different like pieces to the puzzle. Just learning the movement of the sport, like the stance is kind of unorthodox, you know, to stand with your feet, you know, in this perpendicular way. And you have to kind of turn your body um, in ways that feel kind of uncomfortable at first. And um, also, it was very overwhelming, I would say, to join this team that was so prestigious. You know, the Columbia High School fencing team was undoubtedly the strongest team in the state. Some would say arguably the, the best high school fencing program in the country. You know, I felt from the time I walked onto the team, this kind of sense of belonging where you were seen as, as valued. I went on to coach the team for a few years after I graduated from college. I've just never felt that in any other space aside from, you know, this team. And I feel like it's so unique to this team because it's it's hard to find. To this day, kids from all kinds of backgrounds belong to that high school fencing team. As captain in the early 2000s, Iftihaj led the Columbia High School Fencers to two state championships. Her experiences there launched her onto a global stage. We'll hear more about that right after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Let's Go Together from Travel and Leisure. I'm Kelly Edwards. My guest today is Olympic fencer Ibtihaj Muhammad. She picked up a sword in high school and was drawn to the sport because it accommodated her Muslim faith. Before she won bronze in Rio, Ibtihaj attended Duke University, where she was a three-time All-American. She majored in international relations and African studies, which sparked her desire to travel. She's gotten to do plenty of it as a world-class athlete. How have your travels helped you understand the different facets of your own culture, religion, and history? I would say that one thing that I love about sport is that it brings so many different people together. And in having the opportunity to travel to so many different places, I just love the idea of culture and how it changes depending on where you are. And that food and and language, and there's so many different facets that make up our world. So let's go back to your experiences that you had while you were in the Olympics in 2016. What was it like as a woman performing in a hijab in the Olympics? It's just not what we were used to seeing, and I thought it was beautiful to make, to normalize it. And I know you say you wish there was someone else who was the first, (laughs) but what about that experience did you really enjoy? Competing at the Olympic games was this very like surreal moment in my life because I had spent so much of my time and my energy and just devoted a really large chunk of my life in just the hopes of competing. It's just such a difficult thing to do. And I realized that, you know, it was hard to see my friends go to graduate school and medical school and, you know, start their careers. And here I was just, you know, I would say just picking away at at this really, really lofty dream of competing at the Olympics. So when I qualified, it just felt, I mean, just so surreal. Like to me, the Olympics has always felt like a dream. And to the point where it was something that I wouldn't, I wouldn't speak about, you know, um, even within my family, I felt like if I, if I even said, or like murmured the word Olympics, it was such a dream that if you said it out loud, it would almost disappear. Um, and even just being in Rio felt like a dream. And this, this opportunity to represent myself and the hard work that I had put in for the past eight years of being a member of of the United States national team, but also in qualifying at the height of the presidential election in 2016. Ibtihaj says it lit a fire under her every time she stepped on the fencing strip. I felt it became normal to talk about communities of color and even the Muslim community in such such a negative way that being a visibly Muslim athlete on Team USA, I saw that as an opportunity to change the narrative for my community. And not just in the way that we see ourselves as Muslims, but also the way that others see us. And being a, a Muslim woman who chooses to wear hijab, who's not Arab, who's American 
by birth and having no connection to any other country outside of the United States, it just felt like an opportunity to show the world a different lens of, of and a new narrative of the Muslim community. Because there is no bigger stage than that, the Olympics. Mm. Islam is often painted with a broad brush here in America, but it's a faith practiced by millions of people from different cultures all over the world. Iftihash was immersed in that diversity on a life-changing pilgrimage to Saudi Arabia. In 2018, you made the journey of a lifetime for Muslims. You traveled to Mecca to perform the Hajj. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Well, I got this random call from a travel agency that's super popular here in the States. And uh, they kind of offered me uh, this deal of a lifetime, you know, to perform Hajj with them. And I, at that time, I had, you know, a few really close friends going. My sister and her husband were going. So I was just like, oh, this is so cool. I didn't mentally prepare for this, but I'm, I'm doing it. And I mean, I don't know of another time where I'll be surrounded by millions and millions and millions of people and being in a place for the exact same purpose and it having such religious significance and it feeling just like organized chaos all, all the time. For those who don't know, what is the Hajj? So the Hajj is, it's one of the pillars of Islam and it's an annual pilgrimage to Saudi Arabia, Mecca specifically, and it's the holiest city for, for Muslims. And it's, I'd say, a mandatory like religious duty for Muslims that you have to carry out at least once in your life. What was it like to be in Mecca? Are there any particular images or sounds or moments that stick in your mind? Definitely. I would say visiting Medina for the first time is really cool. Uh, Mecca, you know, you, you have images of the Kaaba that I've seen, you know, maybe on television or I've seen in textbooks. The Kaaba is the holiest shrine in Islam. It's a granite cube with a solid gold door in the center of Mecca's Grand Mosque, draped in a silk covering embroidered with verses from the Quran. But to see it for the first time and to see so many people kind of circulating. I felt very calm the entire time and just very connected spiritually. And I felt like you don't realize the longing that you have for a place that you've never been until you arrive. Like you don't fully understand that, that longing that you have. And it's really interesting, as, as difficult as the trip and strenuous as the trip is in the moment, I feel like there's kind of the sadness that overtakes you when it's time to go. And it's like, man, I pray that I have the opportunity to go back because I really felt like it's, it's by far the most beautiful experience that, that I've had traveling for sure. I think there's just so many people from different parts of the world who you may not have anything in common with them, especially when it comes to language. It's just this very unique experience in that you're all there for the same reason. And even though you don't share anything but faith in a sense, it's, it was just a cool experience to be there for the same reason, even though there were so many people. So you are an Olympic fencer who medaled, which is ginormous. That's a huge feat. As a world champion and a sports ambassador with the Department of the State, you've gotten to travel all around the world. Mm -hmm. Tell me about some of your favorite places you've traveled to and why. I do love to travel through sport and 
being a professional athlete, I've had the experience of traveling to about 40 countries at this point, I think. And I have a few that I think that are my favorite countries to travel to. And I have my favorite countries to compete. Um, I've also have like my favorite vacation spots, I guess, but um, I do, I do love just experiencing different cultures and different foods. And I would say that um, probably my favorite country that I've traveled to and actually had the opportunity to, to live in for a few months, I studied abroad in Morocco back when I was a student at Duke and I've been back twice now uh, since studying abroad there. And it's just I would say by far my my favorite place. I love Morocco. I love how you you categorize, you know, your different travels. You say you have places you love to vacation on, to compete, and to just go. What are some of your favorite places that you've enjoyed competing in? I really enjoyed competing in, I would say France. It's just super consistent. You know what you're going to get from the French in terms of just being super organized and um, having like kind of this seamless competition, but also it's nice to know that I have access to like fresh produce and, and great food and not have to worry about necessarily the contents on the label. And then where do you like to vacation? <laughs> when I go on vacation, that's what I'm there for. I'm not there to like sightsee. I'm not there <laughs> to have a schedule or you know, this laundry list of plans. I'm literally there to rest. There has to be a beach and there has to be like warm sand. So I think just because of the proximity to New York, I really like going to Turks and Caicos. Those are the most beautiful beaches I think I've ever been to. I was going to say the beaches are absolutely stunning. I totally agree with you. I'm definitely down with the warm sand and the beautiful beaches as well. (laughs) What advice do you have for young Muslim women who want to travel the world? The advice I have for anyone who wants to travel to the world is just do it. I mean, don't allow your fear to, to precede you. There's no time like the present to just get out there and, and chase down the things that you may be afraid to do. I've felt like from the time I was really young, I I learned to, lean into this idea of being fearless and like one thing that's on my bucket list is to do a solo trip that's something I've never done and it's one of those things that I have friends who have done and I'm you know like so envious of them that they found the courage to do that where do you where do you want to go solo? actually I'm, I'm quite surprised that this you've never been on a solo trip I'm the queen of solo travel and adventure so I'm curious to know where would you want to go solo for your first trip you know, I don't know. I don't know if solo travel is necessarily for me. I am, I'm one of five kids and just really enjoy the company of friends, family, or even just my siblings. And like, even now that, that sports are done, I travel a lot for work and I'm always taking someone with me always, like whether it be my mom and my niece or one of my sisters, I I'm just so used to enjoying, I think, the company of of my loved ones. And also having competed for so long and having traveled for so long by myself, I think it would be cool to travel, do a solo trip for fun by myself. But I do have to say that for 
10 years, I traveled the world alone. Just I was competing. So maybe I have done a solo trip already, but I haven't done a solo trip for fun. I see. I see. So you spoke about being detained by U.S. Customs back in 2016, returning from the Olympics. Can you tell me about that experience? Yeah, I was actually uh, returning from a World Cup. I was competing in Mexico and my sister and I, we had an emergency landing. I knew right away when I was standing in front of the customs agent that there was something very off about our interaction. He didn't say much. He just, you know, put these big X's on our on our customs forms. And we had a very tight connection on this new flight that we were put on. And I knew immediately when I saw those X's that we were not going to make our flight. And it was it's definitely an unsettling feeling to feel profiled. And I know, I know exactly what it feels like, especially just existing as an African-American. I know what that feels like. But as a Muslim who already has a hard time going through the airport and just you know, being visibly Muslim and wearing hijab, I don't know if I've ever had that trouble entering the United States as an American citizen. Mm -hmm. I think that that was a really tough pill for me to swallow, especially after coming from the Olympics. I think that there's a layer when it comes to being profiled. To me, there there seems like there's like a there's a question of your identity and, and a question of whether or not you belong or, you know, a question of what is your intention. And I remember sitting in this back room, you know, you have to wait and you have to be interviewed, I guess, by like a second interview or whatever by the customs agent. Wow. And I remember the customs agent like recognizing me from the Olympics. And that just kind of added, I guess, fuel to the fire. I'm like already furious that I've missed my flight. But then to, to think that all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're okay because I, I know who you are. And I feel really strongly about speaking out Right. Against these different issues of social injustice, because I realized that it's it doesn't just happen to, you know, they're, they're not just one offs, you know, and they don't just happen to some of us. I think that there's a collective that we see within the Muslim community that for sure we see in African-American community. And even as public figures, I think we have a responsibility to speak on these issues because we have larger platforms and we can shed a light on issues like this. And I, I just felt like I was, my sister and I were pulled from the customs line because we wore hijab and for nothing else. What do you think is the biggest misconception about the hijab? That in some way, someone's forcing a woman to wear hijab. Or that, you know, there's to me always this term that's attached to hijab and it's a negative term and it's oppression. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. So I'm, I'm going to ask you a little lightning round, just three quick questions. What is something you never travel without? Your most memorable travel meal and your dream destination? Okay. I never travel without eyeliner. Yes. I'm an eyeliner girl too. Sorry. Oh, same. Okay. <laughs> I, I feel closer to you already. Um, my most memorable meal. Whoa. I recently traveled with a few of my sisters and there was just 10 of us, 10 of the closest women in my life. We went to 
Mexico for my birthday, rented a huge house on the beach and we had private chef there. Mm. And I mean, every single meal was amazing. And (laughs) I mean, I would just say, I don't know what these women were cooking, but these meals in Mexico were phenomenal. So if I could have those meals again, I would. And that, that to me, that's just, I guess, my most memorable travel food experience. I'm sure there was some fresh guac involved. Oh, you know it. It was amazing. <laughs> um, and last question, uh, where I most want to travel that I haven't had the opportunity to go to, I would say Thailand. That's on my list. That's where I want to travel to next. Listen, I have been to Thailand three times. Yes. It is freaking amazing. The food is delicious. It has your your beaches and your sand. Perfect. Why Thailand of all the places that's a dream destination for you? I don't, I mean, I feel like I've traveled to so many random countries with fencing, but when it comes to Asia, I just feel like I haven't traveled to too many countries yet. Like I think I've only been to Korea, China, and Japan. So I, I don't know. I would just love to travel to Thailand, but also the beaches just look amazing. Oh, they not just look amazing, they are amazing. And you know what else is great about Thailand is that our dollar goes so far. They have the the bot. Mm-hmm. So when I've been one dollar would be like thirty-three bot, which you're balling over there. <laughs> Look, if I could make it rain, that's where I'm trying to go. I love it. But also I've heard that you can just island hop. Oh yeah. Easy. Right. Yeah. Easy. Cold PP, Phuket. They're all a boat right away, you know. And have you traveled there alone? Yes. My first international trip in my life solo was to Bangkok, Thailand. Whoa. See, I am so impressed. I don't know. I found, (laughs) I found just in having like competed in random places and been alone, I always thought, man, it would be nice if like I had a friend or like my, one of my sisters here to just kind of, I don't know. I feel like I would travel alone and spend most of my time on FaceTime. (laughs) No, that's not what we're going to do. No, I, I mean, you can you can pull it up to show them a little something, something. But you got to you got to put the electronics away. You get your picture for the gram and you like, you know, you dive into it. You dive into it. And uh, and it's it's so it's so diverse. I think the biggest shock for me is like when I got off the plane and just to see, especially since it was my first solo international trip, obviously I'm used to reading English signs, you know, up until that point and you get off and you see a bunch of different writing that you don't recognize, but exit was um, written in English. And so I equated exit, the writing above it and tie to what that looked like. So wherever I was at, like to try to familiarize myself with where the exit is pointing to. So there's a little tip for you. Oh, uh, noted. <laughs> yeah, I match up the signs to the words that I understand. And I'm like, wherever I see that, at least I have some sort of sense of direction or escape route or whatever. Right. But um. Why do you love to travel? I love to travel because I I love to experience new things. And I think part of my personality and just being uh, like very type A and like having structure, travel for me is the opportunity to let go a little bit because there is so much unknown and and being in a new place Mm -hmm. and discovering new food and history and wherever it is that I've had the opportunity to visit. So I think that that's what it is for me, just experiencing new new cultures, new people, new foods. And there's just so much out there that 
you know, God has given us to experience and see. I, I just see it as, you know, why not? Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. This conversation was a joy. No surprise, really. That's what Ibtihaj means in Arabic. You can find out a lot more on our website, ibtihajmohammed.com. That's all for this episode of Let's Go Together, a podcast by Travel and Leisure. I'm your host, Kelly Edwards. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Eliza Lambert, Susie Armitage, Lena Beck-Sillison, and Cheryl Duvall. This show was recorded in Los Angeles, edited in New York City, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more at travelandleisure.com slash podcast. You can find Travel and Leisure on Instagram at Travel and Leisure, on Twitter at Travel Leisure, and on TikTok at Travel and Leisure Mag. And if you're looking for me, I'm Kelly Set Go everywhere. And that's Kelly with two E's on the end. <laughs>